Hello, and thank you for joining us for the third episode of Burning Questions, a podcast focused on reducing risk in your communities and answering some of your questions along the way. In each episode, we'll focus on one safety topic that we get a lot of questions about. We'll do our best to answer some of those questions, and we'll try and clear up any misconceptions about those topics while we're at it. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, leave a voicemail for us at 864-430-0510, or you can email us at bsfdpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll try and give you an answer in a later episode. My name is Captain Chris Camacho. I'm the Community Risk Reduction Manager here at Boiling Springs Fire District in Greenville, South Carolina. Today, my guest is Kimberly Stuber. She's a firefighter with us. She's going to teach us something about our topic today. Today, we're going to be talking about carbon monoxide and carbon monoxide alarms. We'll cover what carbon monoxide, or CO, is. We'll talk about where it comes from, how these life-saving alarms work, and what you can do to stay safe and healthy in your home. First off, welcome, Kimberly. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Chris? (laughs) I'm doing fine. So, Kimberly, tell me, what is carbon monoxide? That is a good question. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless, and tasteless gas that is produced by an incomplete combustion of fuels. It can be extremely dangerous if inhaled as it prevents your blood from carrying oxygen to your vital organs. Symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning can range from a mild headache and nausea to more serious symptoms such as confusion, unconsciousness, or even death. Carbon monoxide is sometimes referred to as the silent killer because it is very difficult for you to recognize it without an alarm to tell you that it's present. Okay, so to recap, what you're saying is that if you don't have any kind of special equipment or a detector or an alarm, that there's no way for us to know that it's in our homes aside from the symptoms that it may cause. That sounds pretty dangerous, but how do we measure how much is in an area? So carbon monoxide is measured in parts per million, or PPM for short. This tells you your concentration for how many CO molecules there are per million molecules of fresh air. So there's different ranges, right? There's low level, mid-range level, higher levels, extreme levels, and then there's what we like to call immediately dangerous to life and health, or IDLH levels. Yes. So the low levels I'm seeing are anywhere from zero parts per million up to 35 parts per million. And at these levels, carbon monoxide is not immediately life-threatening, but prolonged exposure can cause health problems over time. Some symptoms may be headaches, dizziness, and nausea. What about the mid-range levels? What what do we call the mid-range levels? So mid-range levels are around 36 to 99 parts per million. At this level, symptoms would be more severe and might occur even more quickly. You could experience headaches that are more intense, nausea, and vomiting. Okay, and then the next range is what we would call higher levels. It's uh, 100 parts per million up to 399 or just under 400. At those levels, symptoms can become life-threatening. They can include confusion, dizziness, uh, loss of consciousness. Long-term exposure can cause permanent brain damage or death at this level. Yes. We said earlier that there are five levels. There's low, mid-range, higher, extreme, and IDLH. What would be the extreme or IDLH levels? 
Yes, so the extreme levels are 400 to 799 parts per million. At these levels, symptoms may include seizures, coma, or even death. Immediate action would need to be taken to prevent more exposure at this point. IDLH levels are 800 parts per million or higher. At these levels, carbon monoxide can rapidly cause loss of consciousness and death within just a few minutes. So Chris, as the CRR manager here at Bowling Springs, we know you see a lot of CO calls. What are the different sources that you have been finding as you're out and about in our community? That's a great question. I do a lot of uh, what we call home safety visits, where I'm trying to evaluate different risks that people have in their homes. Uh, one of them is, uh, is carbon monoxide. And a lot of people think that the only place that a CO can come from in your home is if you have fuel-fired appliances such as a, a natural gas oven or range, or you have a gas water heater, you run propane logs or something like that. But what a lot of people don't realize is that CO is generated anytime a carbon-based fuel is burned, but it's not completely consumed. Uh, these fuels can include propane and natural gas. They can also include wood, charcoal, coal, gasoline, diesel fuel, plastics, and other carbon-based items. So the most common CO sources, like we said, are fuel-burning appliances. These can be a gas furnace or water heater, stoves and fireplaces. If these appliances are not properly installed, maintained, or vented, they can produce carbon monoxide. The key is to have your propane or natural gas appliance serviced at least annually. These regular inspections could identify ventilation leaks or malfunctioning equipment before there's an emergency. Another place that we see it is from automobiles. The exhaust fumes from cars and other vehicles contain carbon monoxide. That's why it's important to never run a car in a closed garage, even when the garage door is open. With the garage door open, CO levels can quickly reach uh, 150 parts per million. With the garage door closed, CO levels reach 400 parts per million within just minutes. This is one thing we also have started telling people is if they have a vehicle that has a remote start feature, use a lot of caution when parking those vehicles inside an attached garage. There have been documented instances where residents have uh, accidentally started their vehicles in the garage, the garage doors down, and then they later died from subsequent CO poisoning. We also see CO issues with generators. A typical five and a half horsepower gasoline generator can put out as much carbon monoxide in one hour as 450 idling cars. We also have seen some increased CO levels in homes where people are tobacco smokers. If you're smoking cigarettes inside the home and the, there's no cracked windows and there's no ventilation, uh, you can see an increase in CO up to about 30 parts per million. It's not usually enough to become a, a major health issue, but it can cause some chronic symptoms such as headaches and fatigue. And Chris, you mentioned a little bit about getting your fuel-burning appliances maintenance regularly. Can you go a little more in-depth on that? Absolutely. Proper maintenance of your fuel-burning appliances is crucial to prevent carbon monoxide leaks. Some steps that you can take as a homeowner or a renter to ensure that your appliances are properly maintained is have them installed by a professional. You want to hire a qualified professional to install any fuel-burning appliances. This could be a furnace, water heater, a stove can also be extended to a wood-burning stove, anything like that. Uh, you want to schedule regular or annual inspections. You want to make sure that you clean or replace your air filters on a regular basis to prevent clogs that can lead to improper combustion and CO leaks. Uh, ensure proper ventilation of your fuel-burning appliances. 
and you never want to use any of your outdoor appliances indoors. These appliances emit a dangerous amount of carbon monoxide and they are not intended or built to be used in an enclosed space. By following those steps and being proactive in maintaining your fuel burning appliances, homeowners can prevent CO leaks and protect themselves and their families from CO poisoning. Those are some great points, Chris. And especially if you're living in an apartment building or you're renting, you may not know what appliances in your home use gas or what other carbon monoxide hazards you have in your home. It may not be a bad idea to talk to your property manager or your building owner and just get some ideas from them of what all they are using gas for in that building. You also may want to consider putting in that CO alarm in your own home. That's a great point, Kimberly. It could save your life. We've talked about what CO is. We've talked about how it's measured and where it comes from. Uh, next up is we're going we're to talk about how these alarms actually function. CO alarms typically contain a sensing element usually a metal oxide or an electrochemical sensor that detects the presence of carbon monoxide. When the sensor detects the gas at a certain level over a specific amount of time, it triggers the alarm to sound an audible alert and or flash a visual alert, indicating that there's a potential carbon monoxide leak. They activate at different concentrations over different amounts of time. Kim, what are some of the different concentrations uh, that the CO alarm will activate at? So around 70 parts per million would be about one hour to four hours before that alarm starts to sound. If you have around 150 parts per million, it'll take about 10 to 50 minutes for that alarm to sound. Or if you have 400 parts per million, it'll take only about four to 15 minutes for that alarm to sound. So I know there's different types of CO alarms and there's different applications for those alarms. There's battery, there's hardwired, and there's plug-in. So can you tell me a little bit more about those different types and where you could see them and the advantages and disadvantages? First off, there are hardwired alarms. These alarms connect directly to the electrical wiring in your home and also have a battery backup in case you were to ever lose your power. These alarms are typically the more expensive option, but also more reliable with that power source. So hardwired alarms connect directly into the wiring of your home and have a battery backup as well in case you were to ever lose power. These are typically a little more expensive than the battery-powered alarms, but they also have more of a reliable power source. One advantage to these alarms is that they could also interconnect to each other, so as one goes off, it'll actually connect to the others and all the alarms will go off at the same time. So that's hardwired alarms. Uh, what about the battery-only alarms? Yes, so the battery-powered alarms are going to be your cheaper option, uh, they do run off of just a battery, and so you will need to replace that battery more frequently and test them more often. And then we mentioned plug-in alarms. What about those? So plug-in alarms are designed to plug into the wall outlet, but they also use that battery backup in case you were to lose power. They are very easy to install, and you can move them from room to room as you need to. That's a good point, Kim, and with those plug-in alarms, it's good to remember that they only work if air can move near that alarm. So if you plug it into a wall outlet, but that wall outlet is behind a sofa or in the corner of a room that doesn't see a lot of air movement, it could take a little bit longer for that alarm to activate. And that leads us straight into placement. Whether we place these on the ceiling or whether we place them on the wall. Carbon monoxide disseminates into the atmosphere really, really quickly 
That means it distributes itself really equally across the room and be found at roughly equal levels from floor to ceiling and wall to wall in a very short amount of time. Most manufacturers recommend placing the alarm at about eye level. The only reason for this is it makes the display a little bit easier to read. This works for wall-mounted alarms, but if your alarm is the type that plugs into an outlet, or if it is a ceiling mount, feel free to just install it in a regular outlet at any height or put it on the ceiling. One thing we do recommend is if you're placing it on the ceiling, don't put the alarm within four inches of the wall. If you're placing it on the wall, make sure you don't put it within four inches of the ceiling. Why do we say four inches? That's because four inches from the corner between the wall and the ceiling is known as a dead air area. This means the air doesn't move very much in that area and it could lead to delays in activation if a smoke alarm or a carbon monoxide alarm is placed in that zone. Now we've talked about whether we put them on the ceiling on the wall, but Kim, can you give us some guidance? Do we need to put them on every floor of the home? What about sleeping areas? Is it just like smoke alarms or are there some slight differences? Yes, so all manufacturers agree that you should have at least one CO alarm on each floor. That way you can hear it. If you're in the second floor and the one in your basement starts going off, you may not be able to hear it until it's too late. Also, you want one outside each sleeping area so that again, if you're asleep, that alarm will wake you up and alert you to the danger. And with that, we also have to use a little bit of common sense. There are some people that have gas-powered fireplaces in their bedroom, and we recommend that people sleep with their bedroom doors closed. If you have a source of CO in your bedroom, you should have a carbon monoxide alarm in that bedroom. The last thing we would want to see is have a ventilation issue, and you close your bedroom door like we recommend for close before you doze. But if your bedroom door is closed and you have a CO leak in your bedroom, that carbon monoxide is not going to make it out into the hallway. This could lead to a delay and it could unfortunately lead to unconsciousness, health issues, or death. We also suggest not putting them in your garage, your kitchen, or your furnace room as these alarms could be built up with dust, grease, or soot from those locations and not activate properly. And we recommend not placing them in these areas, not just for the possibility of obstructing that CO sensor, but also because if you have nuisance alarms, like let's say you put a carbon monoxide alarm in your garage, but it goes off every single time you start your car, you start to associate carbon monoxide alarm activation with someone starting a car, not necessarily with a buildup of potentially deadly CO in your home. That is very true, Chris. So next up is testing. We recommend testing your CO alarms every month. Kim, can you give us some guidance on why we recommend that? First off, just to make sure that your alarm is still functioning properly. You don't want to get in a situation and find it wasn't working when you needed it. Also, just so that you can build that confidence that your alarm is working and that you can feel safe in your home. You also want to include your children in this testing so they can get to know the sound and what they need to do when it goes off. That's a good point. So what you can do is you can even incorporate these carbon monoxide alarm tests in with your escape drill every six months. This is just a way that you can make sure that everyone knows one place to meet, they know what that CO alarm sounds like, and they know they need to be outside and away from the home if there's a buildup of CO in the home. This meeting place outside can be a mailbox, a tree in the front yard, a neighbor's house, an adjacent building. It doesn't really matter as long as it's away from the home and everybody agrees on the one location they need to meet. So next up, Kim, we're talking about battery replacement. 
when do people need to replace the batteries in their carbon monoxide alarms? Yes, we recommend replacing your batteries at least once a year. I know nowadays they have some alarms that are 10-year batteries. You don't have to replace them until the battery goes dead and then you replace the whole alarm. An exception to this would be when the alarm starts to chirp. That little chirp will happen every few seconds on a consistent basis and will let you know that, hey, this battery is dying and you need to go ahead and replace it. And this leads us to talk about the lifespan of the alarm itself. Uh, you want to go by the manufacturer's recommendations, but there's definitely no reason to keep an alarm after 10 years. Every alarm that's manufactured today has a manufactured date stamped on the alarm itself. 10-year alarms should last about 10 years, but if it starts to chirp, it's time to replace that alarm. And this gets us into talking about services that we offer here at Boiling Springs Fire District here in Greenville, South Carolina. If you request it, we'll come out to your home and perform this home safety visit. And while we're there, we talk about things like smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, different sources of carbon monoxide in your home. We talk about slips, trips, and falls. We talk about mobility issues and even things that can help you on the outside of your home, like wildfire assistance or other ways that you can stay safe in and around your home. So to recap, we talked about carbon monoxide, we talked about what it is, how it's measured, we talked about where it comes from, how CO alarms work, types of CO alarms that there are, and where we place them in our home, how often we test it, how to incorporate it into an escape drill, and the lifespan of that alarm. I'd like to say a special thank you to Kim Stuber, a firefighter with us, for coming in and spending some time with me today. You're very welcome, Chris. Anything that I can do to make our community more safe is definitely worth it. If I can ask one thing of our listeners is that they go home and look for sources of CO. If you have CO alarms, test them. If they're older than 10 years, it's time to replace them. If there's no CO alarms, but you do have a source, like an attached garage, fuel-fired appliances, gas logs, or you operate a generator during power outages, it's time to get a CO alarm for your home. Call your local fire department and see if they have a CO alarm program. This podcast was made possible by Boiling Springs Fire District in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Captain Chris Kamesha. Stay safe out there. And hashtag have a fire safe day.